Now, welcome back to CCL's podcast, Lead With That, where we talk current events in pop culture to look at where leadership is happening and what's happening with leadership. 20 years in just days, with the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan, the world witnessed the collapse of decades of work and a trillion dollars. I mean, in a matter of days this August, the Taliban captured most of the country just weeks before the U.S. was set to withdraw its last troops. And here at Lead With That, we're lucky enough to talk about leadership and its implications on international trade, the stock market, solar energy. But we also have a responsibility to talk about leadership and its implications on society and the world. And CCL's mission is to advance the understanding, practice, and development of leadership for the benefit of society worldwide. Simply put, we strive to make the world a better place through more effective leadership. And I truly believe effective leadership could make a difference in Afghanistan. It could have in the past, maybe could in the future, and situations like it. And today, we want to look at leadership's role in forging a better future. What kind of leadership does it take to make this situation any better? Is that even possible? And what are some of the lessons we can take to be better every day in our own lives? I'm Ren Washington, one of the trainers here at the center. And as usual, I'm joined with another partner here at CCL, Allison Barr. Allison, what has been the kinds of difference that you've seen leadership make in your life? Well, I do want to acknowledge and you already said a version of this, that there probably are not exact parallels that we can draw from what's happening in Afghanistan to our work world. However, it's a major, major global affair that's impacting the lives of people in a way that you and I, again, are privileged to not know. However, I do think you and I can have a Mm -hmm. fruitful discussion around leadership lessons in general. And I have to share with you an unrelated conversation I was having with somebody I didn't get her permission to share what company she works for. However, what I will say is she recently interviewed for a new job and she was telling me that she made it to the third round and was talking to her future boss. And he said to her, I want to provide you with three or four references so that you can talk to people that I've managed and hear a little bit about my style and ask some questions that are going to make you feel better about working for me because leadership is so complex and everybody has different needs. Organizations are so complex that I thought that was such a unique move. Have you ever had anyone do that? No. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking I was reading about the Taliban spokesperson the other day saying that he was going to do exit interviews for all the people that were fleeing. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I didn't hear that at all. That is, um, <laughs> that is, I, I have not. I do like the idea of someone being hired into an organization to be led by someone. The idea of like me interviewing them or hearing about you know, what am I getting myself into? So, no, I've never had a manager give me references for people they've managed. But I also think, you know, when you put references on your on your CV, do you pick someone who's going to talk bad about you? So, I mean, was it just a, a hollow gesture? I mean, <laughs> No. However, to give you some more context, her experience at her previous organization was that she had been harassed by her boss. And so I'm certain that she didn't disclose that, of course, to the company that she was interviewing with. However, Afghanistan made me think about a lot of things and it's making me think a lot about women. Right. And again, there's there's no parallel. I mean, I listened to a spokesperson who 
wouldn't name herself on an NPR interview the other day. And what she said was, in a matter of seconds, and I'm, I'm quoting her, in a matter of seconds, the faces of women are erased. Um, they're being forced to wear burqas. They're being forced to cover their faces. They have to be escorted in public by a man, and they're not allowed an education. So again, this is not the same at all, but it did get me thinking about women in the workplace and my friend's experience was something that she didn't want to repeat again. And yeah. so the ability to talk to other women, which she did, probably did set her at ease a little bit. So to answer your question, no, we would not give references who are going to say, you know, that Rand Washington's a real jerk. <laughs> we wouldn't do that. Um, but we probably will give references of people who are going to be honest, right? Uh, you'd hope so. And maybe right. those people close to us see uh, some of the positives that we bring in less of the shadow, which is some of what I want to talk about today around the Taliban and how quickly they were able to regain control and, and some of their appeal. But something mm. you just said is interesting because you were talking about the face of women being erased in a matter of, of moments and some of the restrictions that were certainly a way of life pre-2001 mm. Taliban. And I was just reading a transcript from the Taliban spokesperson the other day who was getting pressed by this international reporter. And he was asking some of the same questions around, you know, what are women's experience going to be? Can we expect any kind of punishment or reprisal? Will they be able to continue to work? And the, the spokesperson said, yes, they will be safe. There will be no reprisal. They'll be allowed to work. They'll be allowed to come. And then apparently, too, the rule around them being able to go outside or go to work without a male companion was also being lifted. And the person stepped as long as they follow hijab, he said he kept doing that. But, but it seemed, at least in their comments, that there was a shift in behavior. And now, I mean, I guess, one, do we believe that? But two, are these the kind of shifts that make the Taliban more palatable? No. No. Yes. All right. Well, no. what do you mean? No. And and I I apologize in advance for such the strong stance. This is my opinion, not CCL's opinion. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, okay, so what you highlight there is something that's crucial to an organization. So I want to touch on that yes. just briefly, which is trust, right? Mm. Trust is crucial for an organization to succeed. So that aside, um, what's interesting about what you've said is that the spokeswoman who's in this NPR article, is too afraid to be named. She's right. too afraid to even name who she is. And so who are we going to believe in this context, right? And that's up for debate. But the Taliban has a history of treating women in the ways that you mentioned they're not going to anymore. What is their loyalty to the U.S. to tell us what we want? They, they don't have any responsibility to tell us what they're going to do. They don't have any loyalty to, that I know of, at least to us, to be honest. I mean, is this a way for them to get the U.S. out of their hair, so to speak? I don't know, but I have a lot of doubt in my mind that the Taliban is now this inclusive right. organization that's going to treat women with equality. Yeah. I, All of a sudden. Right. I, you know, it is a hard pill to swallow. And I agree with you. When I read that, I can't help but say, well, come on, come on now, guy. Let's, you know, let's be real. But it, it does bring me to, I think, some of the first organizational takeaways or some of the takeaways that we can do in our daily lives is it makes that thing makes me think of two things. One, when you've got a history of behavior, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of proof and evidence for me to believe that you're going to behave differently. 
And so when we work with tons of leaders or middle managers who come into an organization and we are the harbingers of change, right? We're coming in there and we're saying, you know, this is our, the, the organization's committed to change and we're examples of it. They want you to take risks. They want to open up lines of communication. They want you to give them feedback. And people look right. around the room like, are you freaking kidding me? No chance. I don't believe that for a second. And it, it just reminds me when we do this work, how it's measured, it's intentional. And when people want to shift their leadership behaviors or behave differently in team environments, it doesn't happen overnight. And uh, we're not crazy for pausing and saying, well, wait a minute, am I supposed to believe you? Yeah, I mean, consistency is key, right? And, you know, in terms of Afghanistan, we're talking about human rights issues. And my hope is that organizations in the U.S. are not uh, faced with human rights issues. And at the same time, where my attention landed is okay, what do we need to do around women and equality at the workplace? Not just women, but right. in order to do that, we have to look at history. And do you know what's being celebrated in the U.S. today? I feel like a miserable, bad person. I didn't know this. Don't worry. I All literally right, saw I feel like it. A I, slightly better person. I saw it on um, social media somewhere. It's the 101st anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which granted white women to vote. And I underline white women because... No black woman was given access to vote during that year. Mm -hmm. And so while most of us might be wondering what any of this has to do with the workplace or, you know, Afghanistan, it does show us that historically the frame of reference for women's rights was through white women alone. And I think that narrative needs to shift as well. And so when I think about women in Afghanistan, some of the musings I have heard on the interwebs, the streets of the interwebs are, well, mm -hmm. they should be they should be grateful well, why? They're not being treated equal. Grateful for what? Yeah. What are people, what are, in this argument, what are they to be grateful for? I, I almost don't even want to say it, Ren. This was, this was, you know, one back and forth that I saw on the streets of Twitter. Sure. Was that, um, you know, well, they're not being murdered. So. Uh, um, well. Okay. That is great yeah, news, I yes. suppose. Thank goodness. Right. You know, and you you mentioned this again, and I think we'll, we'll probably say this caveat a few times that I'm not comparing the human rights, the civil justice, the humanitarian issues that are happening in Afghanistan and have happened. I'm not trying to draw a direct comparison to the workspace. But when I do hear some of those reflections of, well, you should just count yourself lucky. I don't think it's restricted only to marginalized groups. One of the worst leaders I've ever had in my life routinely managed by saying to everyone and looking at us honestly that you're lucky to have a job. Don't press your luck. I'll just get another one of you. And I know that that experience is not unique to me. A lot of leadership, a lot of people look at those they hire as expendable. Mm -hmm. I think we saw some of that in our conversation the last time we were together. Mm hmm. And so maybe there is another parallel, though I know there's much more to discuss around the marginalization of women and the context of maybe just a little glimpse of freedom before maybe these doors shut. But it also reminds me, too, of leadership that looks around maybe at their women or marginalized groups and say, you should be lucky. 20 years ago, we wouldn't even have an ERG for you. Or 20 years ago, there wouldn't even be an opportunity for you to say any of these things. We would just fire you and bring someone in who's more complicit or more compliant. Yeah. How's that for a power move? Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a safety cue. That, that's like 
I won't get too much into it, but that's like psychology 101. That's a, that's a safety cue to not only just marginalized groups, but that's a threat, right? That is, that is a passive aggressive threat. The statement of you're lucky or you should count yourself lucky. Yeah. Lucky you have a job. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're lucky you have a job. <laughs> Boss, right? right. Well, well, yeah, let's double click on that for a yeah. moment as we say. I mean, you're, 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 you're having a reflection about that. Let's tap into some of your kind of exasperation. You know, why is that a wrong thing to say in a, as a leader in a leadership position? Well, if you think back to that experience, tell me how the environment was like for you. In my personal environment, I desperately needed the work. I was living almost paycheck to paycheck in that. I mean, it was a service industry job, so I wasn't even have paychecks. Mm. It was just cash. Mm -hmm. And I felt a desperation that couldn't, even if I wanted to challenge that sentiment, which I knew was misplaced, I felt sort of like he was right because... I needed the work. So I was, I felt disempowered. I felt frustrated. Right. Absolutely. So it is a power move. Some people might call that gaslighting. It's a way for me to make you responsible for your situation and make you responsible for the treatment that you're ensuing. So whether or not that manager's Mm. behavior was misplaced, I think that's what you said. It probably was, right? It's probably coming from, that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. That is not a way to conduct yourself as a leader because it creates an environment in which people not only feel less than, but also feel that this is right. This is fair treatment. This is actually, okay, I'm out of line here, not my boss who's threatening me. Right. Conditioning. Conditioning. Yes, absolutely. Well, and and so maybe that's a natural segue to some of what I'm curious about with when I said to you and I said to our team, you know, we're, we're doing our war, war room planning and we're talking about <laughs> episodes. And I said, hey, let's talk about Afghanistan. And, you know, as we said up top, we've been, it's been <laughs> I think we all know how intense the, the news year has yeah. been. And I think we've done a pretty solid job of trying to find things that that we can talk about that maybe aren't so heavy, like I think some of this conversation. But when I think about it, I thought, too, well, without any judgment on any kind of decisions that were made exterior to Afghanistan, looks look into Afghanistan and the people present there, the power of the Taliban, and reflect on why 20 years of effort doesn't work. So before we ask any other questions, what do you think, Allison? Like, why, why 20 years, a trillion dollars, mm. why didn't it work? I wish I knew the answer to that. And it's it's yeah, so really. complex. <laughs> and I, I think one thing to keep in mind is that, well, first of all, this was a military and government operation. And 99% of us are not going to be privy to the entire story. It's just, we might mm-hmm. know 1% of it if we're lucky. And we can speculate. And it's very unfair to do that because sometimes... And likely a lot of those decisions were made and none of us are going to have that full context of the decision. So, you know, people are criticizing Joe Biden. People are criticizing Donald Trump. People are criticizing Reagan. The point is, is to to your point, this is 20 years worth of effort and leadership change in the process and cultural change, likely in Afghanistan in the process. And what was interesting that Joe Biden said, which I'm, again, paraphrasing here, is that no matter when we left, it was going to be a disaster. It's not like you could leave there, given the circumstances, and have a a bow tied on it. It was a messy situation. And so there's no way that it could be a a clean break, so to speak. 
And it makes me think, you know, what's happening in leadership for 20 years of efforts for it to have been as messy a situation today right. as it was in 2001. Right. Now, maybe that's hyperbole and I'm exaggerating, but I was talking with my stepson today. We were just talking about it and talking about the episode coming up and what's happening in Afghanistan. And, you know, he's in social studies and they're going to D.C. this year. And he was saying he's you know trying to stay up on the news because he wants to be kind of aware of things. And he, and he made a statement of uh, well, how we lost the war in mm. Afghanistan or how he made the statement that, you know, the Taliban are really bad people. Right. And and I said, well, losing the war, I don't know if it's that simple. Mm-hmm. because, you know, technically there was at one point in our lives, we saw that the mission was accomplished. Right. It's kind of like the whole change and transition conversation we have, uh, where change is the thing that happens in the beginning. Transition is the thing that gets you. And so, you know, maybe it was like the long entrenched thing didn't really work out in our favor. And I think some of it was that ambiguity, that gray area of the Taliban and their goodness or badness. You know, I'm not trying to put any moral judgment on there and Believe me, listener and Allison, I'm a staunch offender against, staunchly against the Taliban and uh, any kind of culture or community or environment or organization that would be designed to demean and diminish and punish and pain other people. And yet, I think, too, part of their appeal has been better the devil you know. The Taliban has created infrastructure in Afghanistan and places where there is no infrastructure. They dig wells for people. They provide schooling for people. They give people food. All of these things that the Afghan government was unable to do for so long, the Taliban was filling in gaps. And so I think, well, geez, how heavy a lever is that for leadership? Apparently heavy enough if in 20 years, nothing changed. I want to back up to what you said a moment ago, which is the Taliban is providing, in in effect, that's what you're saying, they're providing resources for people. Mm. That in it itself is conditional. And so we're looking at one side of the coin, right? And again, we'll never know. I can only process and have critical thinking through the information that I receive, which is through the news, because there's no other way for me to know I'm not in the military. I don't live in Afghanistan. So it's conditional. It's conditional upon whether you agree to a religious right. It's conditional based upon whether or not you agree and behave as less than. For the years that the Taliban was in control, women were not allowed an education. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to mm-hmm. pat them on the back for providing a well. <laughs> when right. it's, you can have some water if you do what I say, that's different. Hmm. Well, it, it gets me thinking too, then let's see, what's the organizational takeaway here for leadership? <laughs> Conditional leadership, the mm. leadership that says, you know, I'll support you as long as you do X, Y, or Z. And I think when we talk about influence, especially influence that authority, or mm-hmm. we talk about how to get teams motivated, you know, I think that you can ultimately, we aim for commitment. How can we get teams enthusiastically bought in to it? Uh, some of the things that we just might get compliance, people willing to commit and comply. And then at worst, we get resistance. Mm-hmm. And I would have told you last week, maybe, maybe not last month, that no, that you need to pull other levels to, to get real commitment. Uh, you can't have conditional leadership because it doesn't work. It won't last. And then I look at Afghanistan and I say, well, then why is it working? Why has it persisted? And what is working? I think Tell me too, what's, what's working there. Well, that's very interesting. Well, I think what's working is that the power structure has found its way back into the vacuum. Ah, gotcha. 
And so something's enabling that. And maybe you, it's there, like you said, there's a lot of complexities. Have you ever read The Kite Runner? Yes, years ago. Years yeah, ago. Years ago. Me too. Me too. I, what, what a dated reference. Man, we are topical people, I tell you. Our Gen Z, uh, Gen Z but, is going to be like, what are these people talking about? <laughs> so like, is that, is that Catch 22? <laughs> By the way, Joseph Heller made up the term Catch 22 for that book. Isn't that interesting? It would have been fun called fact. something else, but there was like a weird number thing. Yes, fun fact. Uh, I think what's working is that the power has made its way back into a vacuum. And there may be a lot of different explanations about why that is. But when I think about sustained commitment to change, when the narrative, we're the liberator, we're here to save you, and it doesn't work. I mean, what is an organization's motivation? Maybe, you know, to revisit our conversation the last time we're together, to change their means and habits when uh, there might be a little bit of a rebellion or a foreign occupation for a while. But once they're gone, we're just going to go back to the way we were. You know, once the news cameras stop rolling, is the local 218 going to still win the victories they did in Kansas? It's hard to say. So I think that's a good question. What's working? Eh, the leadership vacuum cannot be filled. And I guess what's missing in other leadership that the Taliban's leadership is so prominent? Is Taliban leadership to you? What is Taliban leadership to me? No, is it? Is Taliban is an example it? of leadership? Uh, is it an example of leadership? How do, like, I mean, as we define it, mm. right, leadership is a social process. Yeah, there's like six guys talking about what they want to do. Um, okay, fine. You no, know, do I think that it's not, it's not good leadership? But I mean, in the true sense of someone, there's an organization that is calling the shots in the least by force and in the most by having some pretty staunch followers kind of support. I mean... Now, whether it's corruption or belief, 20 years of work falling apart in a couple of days, something's happening there. So as is my patented way, I didn't really give you an answer there, but you're welcome. Yes. Uh, this is Ren in a nutshell, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you. It's one of your best qualities. No, not um, at all. So, you know, you keep referencing 20 years of work down the drain, and this is yeah. a headline I'll speak for myself. That's a headline that I see uh -huh. every time I log on to the internet. Yeah. It's it's a headline, right? We do not know that. And that's something that I want to keep in mind. You know how media decides to create their opinion pieces does not mean that that's what, what is happening. Our original intent in going to Afghanistan 20 years ago is very different than it is today. And my disclaimer here is that I'm referencing a five-star general who I heard on a podcast. This is one person's perspective, right? So he is a general, however, and he has been in Afghanistan for however many years. I don't remember. But his perspective was we never should have been there in the first time. We're in Afghanistan building roads. Most of the people don't have cars. Most of the people in Afghanistan don't know how to drive if they do have cars. We don't know what we were doing there in the first place. And so I think... Like if we can draw an organizational conclusion to that, it is sometimes companies get so far away from their mission or their purpose that one change in leadership derails the whole thing, but it's an opportunity to look at what we were trying to do in the first place. Yeah. Maybe you get so far away from your mission that once that leader is gone, he's calling these random shots that everyone else looks around and says, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? As mm -hmm. opposed to if everyone's maybe a little bit more clear on that then it doesn't just take the one leader that shakes up the whole thing. There's more people who have that responsibility. Right. And you mentioned 
a variation of commitment. Again, like at CCL, we talk about leadership in terms of direction, alignment, and commitment being the outcomes. Yeah. And when you have mm -hmm. forced commitment, that's not the same. That is not commitment. That's threat. And surely when you prey on people who don't have rights, they don't have a choice. What are you supposed to do when there are men with machine guns who, are, you know, like it's, it's a very different, that's not, that's not leadership as I know it. Forced commitment. Uh, that actually forced commitment sounds like a lot of leadership as I know it. Oh, tell me more. Uh, I mean, maybe not good leadership, but uh, not to, keep on referencing our episode if you haven't checked out the episode from the last time we were together folks we talked a little bit around uh, flexible work and some of the implications of those people who uh, don't have the opportunity and so there's a lot of forced commitment and remember i was talking and you said you know do these organizations care or are they concerned about uh, working too many people and and i think that's rooted in this idea of maybe the shrug emoji from the taliban or other groups that are kind of like too bad you don't have any other choice. Right. I agree with you on that. And so long as if we're looking at the U.S., so long as we have people in poverty, we are going to have people to work jobs in which the environment is unsafe or the pay is below the rate in which you can even pay your rent or buy a meal for your family. And you know, in the last episode, again, I'll just keep, I'll just keep on with the trend here of referencing our yeah. last episode. <laughs> um, you know, there we go. Being <laughs> I believe they, I'm air quoting, they won a 4% raise over the course of a few years, which is actually a loss when you incorporate inflation. That's a loss. Yeah. That's not a win. But if you're preying on people who perhaps don't have an education or the money to pay for a lawyer to fight that, like, yes, they were unionized, but there's only so much that they can do. Mm -hmm. So it's a losing battle. And as I'm seeing the losing battle in Afghanistan, and maybe that's what I keep highlighting around what's working is that on the other side of that loss, there's a winner. And it's this entrenched Taliban ethos or structure or infrastructure, or whatever it is that enabled them to help dismantle the systems that we tried to put into place. And so maybe who knows if 20 years are down the drain or not, I think we'll see if any of these women who've been in government maintain or remain in government. However, maybe that's a sign of that 20 years wasn't lost, that the fact that uh, women in Afghanistan or people who are marginalized are able to do things they never were able to do under the Taliban. Or maybe, as our Taliban friend spokesperson in the beginning said, uh, no, women will be allowed to work or they'll be allowed to walk around outside. I mean, who knows? Maybe that is a sign of evolution or growth. And I can only hope as leaders, as people in and around the world, as, as we think around leadership and organizations, our role in doing the small things to make a big difference. Um, I don't think like all these efforts were in vain because some things have really shifted. And I too think that just because there's a power vacuum in some organizations or people who are really good at taking advantage of disadvantaged people mm. in bad situations, I. I have to believe that they, they're not always going to win. They're not always going to win. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I can't help but think we have to be able to understand and respect the lived experiences of others and what our responsibility is now to that culture is 
I don't know the answer to that as, as a country, right? I don't have the answer to that. However, if the majority of women are saying, that's not true, what you're hearing, Ren. Like, I am terrified mm. to mm -hmm. say my name because I will right. get murdered by way of stoning. I am prone to believe that person. And in the workplace, when we're able to understand and respect lived experiences of those in marginalized groups, then we can progress. Not by, with all the love in my heart, hearing from someone who's not a woman sharing the experiences of a woman. It makes me think of how some of that's not in my control. I was, and let me, let me tell you what I mean. I was working with someone and they were telling me an experience they had um, with their client team that they were a part of. And it was some equity and diversity work. Mm. And there was a person in this team who was in a leadership position who just did not see the value in it and did not pursue the efforts. Not too recently or not too long ago, that person who was in a leadership role was no longer and someone else who had a belief in the efforts was on the team. And now uh, the efforts have been reignited, recommitted. Mm. And it just makes me wonder what happens when that person's out. Right. Like, What do we have to do for the team to make them still want to commit to the ideas or the work or the effort or, or what's the social process of leadership where just because a single leader leaves that we can't keep up the good things that are happening. I mean, I don't know if there's an answer in Afghanistan. I think it's fair to say there's, there is not one. Right. I've tried, right. at least for the past 20 years. And so I'm humbled in these moments, despite my belief in that idea of personal agency and, and empowerment is that sometimes, despite one's best efforts, they are left kind of holding the short end of the stick. And then maybe in that, I think we can still fight the good fight because I think small things can still make a big difference. But indeed, it is complex, right? It is yeah. so it is so complex. And the organizational environment in the United States, when there's change of leadership, so much it's gray. We can't even make one probably congruent conclusion that's going to apply to every organization because it depends. In true CCL form, everything depends on the environment. What else is going on? What is your mission? What was this leader like that the new leader is not like that you're craving, right? Direction, alignment, commitment. It's all about realigning when you get a new leader. And that is very, very complicated. You mentioned fighting the good fight. Which good fight do you mean? Uh, that if you are in that particular instance saying you know, if you're if you're a woman in Afghanistan who ran for office and have the position to keep on trying to change the world and to keep on being the change you wish to see in the world, it can be hard to do those things in the face of impending doom, like you right. say, where I can't even vocalize my name and 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 maybe it doesn't show up as as teaching or, or running actively in office. But I hope that there's people who are still committed to doing the hard, good work because that's the work that's going to make a difference. Mm. Yeah, and I think when we talk about leadership as this social process, as we do, my point of view on that is that it has to include allyship. And mm. we know that when allyship is a norm at the workplace, everybody benefits, literally, the entire organization benefits. So, I mean, where do you start with that? That's a whole other podcast. But what I will say is yes, yes. beliefs influence behavior, right? And if we think about oh, yeah. the Taliban, 
their belief sets are influencing their behavior. Again, not a fair comparison at all, but at an individual level, your beliefs about women are whatever they are, and then your behavior is a derivative from that, right? So it's the same thing. I think the first step in allyship is to really investigate deeply and bravely investigate not only your own identity, but the belief systems that you hold about women, women of color, trans women, Black men, people who are not like you and not, you know, people who are not like me, I have to understand and respect that identity is not one dimensional and um, understand that people have different experiences than me based on their identity. And again, history, whether we're looking at Afghanistan or the United States history, again, I'm not putting those two in the same category, by the way, but history will tell us that there are times when there are decisions made for women about women in a humanitarian way or a workplace way, either way, without women in the space. And so I think a good leadership lesson is, you know, if you're, if you're looking to support women at the workplace or those who are not like you, you need to have them in the conversation with you and don't speak for them. Yeah. Maybe leave it at that. Yeah. I love those ideas. And I was thinking too, what some of what you said earlier was around the mindsets that we have to shift. And my major takeaway around all this is... Or, well, you may not have said that exactly, but you alluded to, I think, the idea that we've got to change the way people think about the work that we're doing or the way that we interact with people or the way that we treat other people. And and when I look at Afghanistan, I see that no mindsets were changed. Very few mindsets were changed mm. in the past 20 years. Or in the very least, mindsets that needed to be changed weren't changed. Right. And so when we're in an organization and you're leading a team or you're trying to be engaged in that active process of leadership, or you have a leader who's trying to get you to do something and you're just an individual contributor, it's how do we change the mindset? Because if we just address symptoms, things that show up because of the mindset, the beliefs that impact my behaviors, like you were saying, then I'm just might be addressing some things on the downstream, but not addressing what's happening upstream. So for me, as a leader, my takeaway for this time and as we keep going is how can you actively engage in changing the mindsets, policy, conversation, uh, all of these things that we tried to do may have worked, may have got compliance for a little bit, but had a lot of resistance. There was no commitment because as soon as it was over, the structures that we put in place fell apart. So maybe with a mind shift change, that's the message. As a leader or an organization, when you're trying to do these things, if you're not going to change the mindsets, the moment you stop looking over someone's shoulder, maybe it just falls apart. Perhaps. Again, a very complex topic and a great. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, this <laughs> did is. Did we solve it? No. Yeah, I think we did, right? <laughs> did we fix <laughs> I think it we and solved save it. the world? Yes. All right, we did. I mean, another great conversation, Ren. You've given me a lot to think about. I really enjoy talking to you and dissecting these really complicated topics. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate you. It's good to talk. And as always, a special thank you to our listeners and to Ryan and the team behind the scenes Ooh. who make the podcast happen. To our mm -hmm. listeners, you can find our show notes and our link to the podcast on ccl.org. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there. And if you're feeling feisty, you can leave us a five-star review. A little, Ooh, like a little teaser to those of you who are on LinkedIn Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn. Ren and I are going to be doing a LinkedIn Live in the next four to six weeks-ish. And we would love to see you there and have a chat with yeah. you via LinkedIn. So go follow us and we'll look forward to catching up next time. Thanks, everyone.
Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Austin. Awesome.